Chapter 4 The Seven Great Promises of God for the Bible Student and Soul Winner I have turned over the matter in my mind for some weeks as to what subject I should speak on this morning to the graduating class. I thought it was settled in my mind that I should speak on 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, Make full proof of thy ministry. But not many days ago, I was so stirred by reading a book entitled Modern Religious Liberalism that I was strongly disposed to speak on what to do with the Bible and had the sermon outlined in my mind. But when I went to God in definite prayer about it last Monday afternoon, He gave me this subject, The Seven Great Promises of God for the Bible Student and Soul Winner. For two years, you have been diligently studying the Bible under the direction and encouragement of some of the best-known students and teachers of the Bible in the world. You have been studying it not merely so that you might get as complete an intellectual mastery of it as possible, but also so that you might find equipment for the most glorious work in the world, soul winning. But you certainly are not foolish enough to think that your studies are now at an end. Only a hopeless fool could imagine for a moment that two years of study anywhere, or under any teachers that ever lived, could exhaust this book, in which are hidden the infinite and inexhaustible treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Your Bible studies are just beginning. Bible study is to be your lifelong employment, and you are going out to wear yourselves out in the great work for which you have been preparing, soul winning. You will not all be foreign missionaries or ministers of the gospel at home, but you are to be soul winners all your days. Some of you will be in the foreign field, some in large churches, some in small churches, some in obscure and neglected unchurched fields at home and some of you in that most hallowed of all fields of soul winning upon which the Bible lays so much emphasis, the Christian home. But all of you, by the good hand of God, are to be soul winners. I can think of no more appropriate subject for this most joyous, and at the same time solemn occasion, than that which I have announced, the seven great promises of God for the Bible student and soul winner. The First Great Promise the first great promise is from Psalm 1, 1-3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Please look again at that promise steadily, and with open eyes and clear eyes, until you take in its wonderful meaning. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God promises the Bible student and the would-be soul winner that if he meets one of the fundamental conditions of profitable Bible study, thorough separation from the world, he will be fruitful. He must not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, but must meditate on God's law, the revealed will of God as found in this book, which is the word of God. Mark 7 verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. If he meditates on it day and night, then he shall be a fruitful tree, a constantly perpetually fruitful tree, a well-watered tree, 
watered by the streams of life that flow from the throne of God through the channels of this wonderful book, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What an amazing promise! What a stupendous promise! And what an all-sufficient promise for the Bible student who is about to enter his life work! Young men and women, you certainly long for a good share of prosperity. But oh, think of it! There is a way to make sure that everything you might do in these coming days and years shall prosper. If anyone in your position can face a promise like that, and not have to put forth some effort to keep from shouting, I can hardly understand it. Be sure you meet the conditions of the promise. The first condition is separation from the world in all your conduct, not walking in the counsel or advice of those who are not fully surrendered to God, not standing in the way that sinners go, or sitting down in the seat of the scornful or scoffers. This includes all higher critics and new theology men and other infidels, whose chief stock in trade is making light of what God himself says, and of the most fundamental and precious doctrines of our faith. If you find yourself located in some seat of learning, where, as at the University of Chicago, they make light of the precious truths of God, that is, scornful ones in the authorized version, and scoffers in the revised standard version, leave that seat immediately. Do not sit in the seat of scoffers. The second condition is that you meditate on God's word day and night. That is, that you deeply, profoundly, continually ponder the revelation God has made in this book, and that you not merely study the Bible for a quarter of an hour, or a half hour, or even an hour every day, but that you also store up in your mind and heart what you discover, and ponder it day and night. Young men and women, never forget that. A great pressure of work will be on you in the coming days, and many books, papers, magazines, and reviews will clamor for your attention. Stoutly and steadfastly refuse to let the demands of service or of other literature crowd out the precious word of God, upon which meditation day and night spells prosperity in everything you undertake. Why is it that so many missionaries and ministers and other Christian workers prosper so little? The answer is found right here. They give so little time to actually meditating upon the Word of God, and they let work or other lines of study crowd out the Word of God, or they ponder it without that clearness of vision that comes from clear-cut separation from the world and from all modernists and other scoffers. The Second Great Promise The second great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner is Daniel 12, verse 3. Scripture and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is a great promise for the Bible students, as well as for soul winners, for only the Bible student is really wise. It is the entrance of God's words that giveth light, that giveth understanding unto the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. No one can be truly wise, wise with real wisdom the wisdom that counts for eternity as well as time, unless he is a Bible student. So God tells us in this striking promise that the Bible student shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and the soul winner is the stars forever and ever. Every red-blooded man and every woman who is worthwhile longs to shine. If you did not wish to shine for your own sake, you ought to have a great ambition to shine for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. He himself bids us to shine. He says in Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16, Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This promise tells us how to shine, how to gloriously shine, how to shine not for the few brief days of this fleeting life that now is, but forever and ever. Be a Bible student, a real Bible student, and be a soul winner. For they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Oh, that large but foolish company of men and women, including not a few ministers and theological teachers and writers, desires to shine down here and have a cheap reputation for advanced scholarship. They forget that the history of the world and the church is forever demonstrating that the advanced scholarship of today is the ridiculous nonsense of tomorrow. Young men and women, listen, it is not worthwhile to shine down here and get all sorts of degrees and titles attached to your name if you are untrue to God and His inspired word. Look back and see how the shores of pastime are strewn with the widened wrecks of men who shone in an apostate church. No, don't care a fig to shine as a great pulpit orator, pulpit humorist, pulpit swindler, or pulpit comforter by holding out false hopes to those who desire to live careless, worldly, and pleasure-seeking lives. It does not pay to shine down here, even as a gold-tongued pulpit orator. It does pay to shine up yonder, to shine as the stars forever and ever. And there is only one way to shine up yonder, by being a real Bible student and soul winner. The Third Great Promise The third great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner you will find in Psalm 126, verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Here is another promise that stirs the alert and intelligent soul to its very depths. What intelligent harvester does not long to come home laden down with mighty sheaves of golden grain? But what other harvest is so desirable as the harvest of precious souls? This, too, is a promise, as we shall see shortly, for both the Bible student and soul winner. A soul winner just because he is a Bible student. It tells us how to come, when our brief but laborious harvest time is over, bringing our golden sheaves with us. Scripture He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. There are just three conditions of a bountiful harvest. Goeth forth, weepeth, and bearing precious seed. Let me change the order. First, bearing precious seed. Our Lord Jesus tells us in Luke 8, verse 11, what the precious seed is that must be born if we are to reap an abundant harvest of the right sort. The seed is the word of God. That is the only seed that is worth sowing, or that will bring a harvest of souls. Men are born again, Peter tells us, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 To sow the word, we must know the word, so you can see how this is a promise for the Bible student, as well as for the soul winner. The Revised Standard Version reads seed for sowing in place of precious seed. The Hebrew means just that, or a sowing of seed. And the only seed that is fit for sowing in the prepared soil of the human heart is God's Word. Here, too, we see why it is that so many preachers, missionaries, and personal workers gather such scant harvests. They are sowing something beside the Word of God. 
Go listen to many sermons and note how little there is of the unmixed seed of the Word of God in them. You will hear much bullseye daisies, chess, bromus sacalinus, and Canadian thistles of man's notions, whims, speculations, and conceits. Their churches look like some alleged wheat fields that we see, full of daisies, mustard, devil's paintbrush, Canadian thistles, bull thistles, and nettles. Oh, young men and women, always bear the precious seed of God's word, and only that. If someone tells you it won't draw like poetry, moonshine, advanced thought, and movies, think of Moody and Spurgeon, and some of the things your own eyes have seen these past months in this very building and elsewhere. Then note the words goeth forth, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. It is not enough to have the seed, go sow it. Sow it far and wide throughout America, not forgetting the neglected fields through China, Japan, Africa, India, and everywhere. It is not the seed the farmer has in his granary that brings a harvest, but the seed he sows in his field. And it is not the truth you know, but the truth you sow that will bear a harvest. Remember it is seed for sowing, and the truth you have learned from the study of God's word and the truth you shall learn in your future study of the word, is seed for sowing. Never forget that. Many a man who knows little gathers a more abundant harvest than many who know much, for what little he knows he diligently sows. And in regard to this promise, note the words and weepeth. It is not enough to know the word of God, and it is not enough to sow the word of God. If you desire a bounteous harvest, you must water the seed with your tears as you sow. Experience also abundantly proves that the word of God that is given with a heart full of love for sinners, a love that shows itself in tears of sympathy for the sinner's sorrows, and tears of pain over the sinner's sin and stubbornness, is what bears fruit in souls saved. Here is where many missionaries in the foreign field fail, and many preachers at home fail. They have no deep heartfelt love that leads to tears for those to whom they preach, and with whom they work. One of the mightiest soul winners among the outcasts that this country ever saw was Colonel George Clark, the founder of the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Colonel Clark worked faithfully at his business six days of the week so he could preach the gospel without pay seven nights in the week. Every night they would gather at the Pacific Garden Mission, four or five hundred men, mostly of the down-and-out class. They would hang on every word Colonel Clark spoke, though he was not an interesting speaker. Indeed. He was a very ordinary and commonplace speaker. I never heard him give an original thought in all my life, and yet those outcasts would sit all evening and hang on his words. Some of the most brilliant speakers in America would go there and could not hold that crowd, but Colonel Clark always could. I studied these strange phenomena and finally found the explanation for them. They knew that Colonel Clark loved them, that he would give his last penny for them, that he would wear his life out for them as he actually did. Colonel Clark was a man given to tears as he spoke. He was a large, powerful man, weighing perhaps 250 pounds, and tears from such a man seemed out of place. After a while he became ashamed of his many tears and held them back. But he found that with the drying up of his tears, he lost his power. He went to God and cried, Oh God, give me back my tears. And God gave him back his tears and gave him back his power. Young men and women, cultivate a real, heartfelt love for those among whom you work. Ask the Holy Spirit to make their lost condition real to you, 
and to make their coming doom vivid to you if they are not saved. It is not the one who knows the most, but the one who loves the most who wins the most. I think I would make a good missionary to the Chinese, for I love the Chinese. I confess I love them more than I do any other people. But look to God to give you a tear-bringing love for any people among whom you work. The Fourth Great Promise The fourth great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner you will find in James 1 verse 5. Scripture If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. This, too, is a great promise for the Bible student and soul winner. To be a successful student of the Word, one needs wisdom, and to be a successful soul winner, one needs great wisdom intact. This promise tells how to get this wisdom. Ask for it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What to do is in one word. Ask. Definite believing prayer. The next two verses say, Our promise tells us very clearly of whom to ask. It is put in two words. Of God. Be very clear about that. There is much asking that is not really of God. Men pray, but they do not really get into the presence of God and ask of Him. Be sure you enter His presence every time you pray. And note carefully of which God to ask, the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Only one God does that, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is much that is called praying today that is not unto Him. Professor Theodore Gerald Soares, professor of homiletics and religious education, and head of the Department of Practical Theology at the University of Chicago, says, The mental state of peace, exaltation, and resolution which issue upon the exercise of prayer are due to the release of conscious tension, but that certainly is not praying to the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, even if the writer is a theological professor. President G. Stanley Hall of Clark University Worcester, Massachusetts, says that prayer is communion with the deeper racial self within us. But that certainly is not asking of the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Professor George Berman Foster, who was a professor in the theological department at the University of Chicago, and then professor of philosophy of religion in another department in the university until the time of his death, said, The only prayer which we have a moral right to pray is precisely the prayer which, after all, we ourselves must answer. But that certainly is not asking of the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Professor Edward Scribner Ames, Associate Professor of the University of Chicago, and Pastor of Hyde Park Church of Disciples of Christ, in his book The New Orthodoxy, says, For the modern man standing erect in his pride of power, the old ceremony full of passivity and surrender is a symbol of a dying age. But that certainly is not asking of the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Professor Gerald Bernie Smith, professor of Christian theology at the University of Chicago, says, The worship of God in a democracy will consist in reverence for those human values which democracy makes supreme. But that certainly is not asking of the God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. I would rather send a son of mine to a smallpox hospital as a health resort then sent him to a theological seminary or university, where such blasphemous folly as that is taught as a preparation for an efficient ministry, or for missionary work. 
Have our Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians gone mad that they send their children to institutions where such wicked, blasphemous, and practically atheistic things are taught? Real prayer to a real God, the only true God, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brings wondrous wisdom in the study of the Word of God and in soul winning. No other shovel digs so deeply into the gold mine of God's Word and throws out such nuggets of pure gold as prayer. Real prayer to a real God. No other rainmaker will so operate upon the clouds of God's abundant grace that always hang over us and bring down such mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit, manifesting themselves in a multitude of souls one as real prayer to a real God. Never forget that. Never, never, never. The Fifth Great Promise This naturally and inevitably brings us to the fifth great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner. You will find it in Acts 1 verse 8. Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The great need of missionary, minister, personal worker, father, and mother, when they study God's word, and when they go out to win souls, is power. They need power to penetrate the sacred cloisters of God's Word, where such abundant treasures of truth are stored, and power to present to others the truth discovered in such a way as to convict of sin and reveal Jesus Christ to bring men to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and thus be born again. This verse reveals the great secret of that power. Scripture, ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Spirit is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We need a power not from this earth, not from human culture, not the power learned in schools of oratory, or the power that comes from the tricks of the world, baptized with Christian names, as in the interchurch world movement. We need power, but not the power to draw crowds learned from Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, or Charlie Chaplin, crystallized in the introduction of the movies into the Sunday evening service, turning the sacred house of God into a third-class Sunday theatrical performance. No, no, no! Power from on high, Luke 24, verse 49. This promise in Acts 1, verse 8 tells us how to get it. It tells us how any graduate of the Bible Institute, or any child of God, can get it. Listen again. Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is the definite baptism with the Holy Spirit of which Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, immediately after he had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 verse 5 For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2, verse 39. The Sixth Great Promise This then leads us directly to the sixth great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner. You will find it in Luke 11, verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The fifth promise tells us that power from on high power right from God, God's own power, will be upon us after the Holy Spirit comes upon us. 
The sixth promise tells us how to make sure of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The way is very simple. Just ask. Ask Him. That is, ask God. The only true God. The heavenly Father. Not the God that is imminent in humanity of which these wise new theologians boast. But ask the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is in heaven, the real God, the God who actually is, and not the God of man's mad imaginings. Professor Walter Rochenbush, now dead, died in 1918, formerly professor of church history at Rochester Theological Seminary, a Baptist institution, said, The old conception that God is distinct from our human life must give way to the religious belief that he is imminent and dwelt in humanity. Don't ask for the Holy Spirit of such a God as that. Ask for the real God, your Father in heaven. Professor Josiah Royce of Harvard University says, The divine is no more separate and aloof. It is within and organic with the human. The same thought is elsewhere put in these words. God is considered as the soul of the world, the spirit animating nature, the universal force which takes the myriad forms of heat, light, gravitation, electricity, and the like. Don't ask any such God as that to give you the Holy Spirit. You might as well pray to a Hindu or Chinese idol, or an Alaskan totem. Professor Gerald Bernie Smith, quoted earlier, speaks of God as the spiritual forces of the world in which we live, the unseen forces of the universe. Don't ask that God for the Holy Spirit. Professor Royce defines God as the imminent spirit of the community. Don't ask that God for the Holy Spirit. No, don't pray to the God of any of this type of theological seminary and university professors, who, professing themselves to be wise, have become fools. Romans 1, verse 22. Pray to the real God, the God whom the Lord Jesus revealed in His words, and in His person, our Heavenly Father, the God who really is and really answers prayer. And if you are His child, He will answer, and He will baptize you and fill you with His Holy Spirit. You will have power, and no man will be able to resist the wisdom and the Spirit by which He spake. Acts 6, verse 10. The Seventh Great Promise Now we come to the seventh and last great promise of God for the Bible student and soul winner, and in some respects, it is the best of all. It is the direct outcome of the sixth promise, and closely related to the fifth and fourth promises. You will find it in Matthew 28, 19-20. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Oh, what a promise! The promise of the personal presence of our Lord Jesus himself with us all the time, until the consummation of the age, when he will come visibly and bodily to take us to be with him forever. He is now our unseen Lord. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 Up in glory, interceding for us, Hebrews 7 verse 25, taking up our case, and advocating it, and carrying it through. But He is also our present Lord. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, when He comes to us, to form within us an indwelling Christ. The Lord Jesus Himself said to His disciples the night before He left them, 
If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. John 14, verses 15 through 23. Yes, he is really with us, not visibly as in that glad coming day. He will be, nonetheless, really and consciously with us. Young men and women, as you leave these halls and these friendships with the faculty and your fellow students that have become so precious to you, you will have many lonely hours and lonely days and lonely weeks. I think the loneliest day I ever saw up to that time was the day I graduated at Yale and left the city on a late boat for New York. Most of my class took earlier trains. It seemed as if I would almost die of loneliness. Forty-six years have passed, but the memory of the misery of that night lingers with me still, and you will have lonely days. And when you get into the heart of China, and into the heart of Africa, and into Indian jungles, you will see lonely days. But you need not see lonely days. You need not see a lonely hour or a lonely minute. By day and by night, you may have the dearest and best and most satisfying of all companions, our glorious Lord Jesus himself. Listen again to this crowning promise of all. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Ah! This coming summer when some night I am up alone on the Yance River, or elsewhere, out in some lonely mountain or desert plain. I could be lonely, but I won't be. Jesus will be there, and he will be with you too, if you meet the conditions. Note these conditions well. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. If you go out into all the world making disciples, going as far as your line may extend, be it eighteen miles or eighteen thousand miles, he will go with you. But if you do not listen sharply for his call, and go as far as he bids you to go, he will not go with you. If we go his way, he will go ours. But if we do not go his way, he will not go ours. If God says Africa, and your foolish heart says Southern California, he will not go with you. Amid the dearest friends on earth, you will be supremely lonely. But if you say with Isaiah when the Lord Jesus calls, and he is calling now, here am I, send me, 
Isaiah 6 verse 8. He will send you, and he will go along. You may be alone beneath the silent stars on some African tableland, but you will not be alone. He, our glorious Lord, will walk by your side, and he is enough, and you will walk with him forever. For he has said, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. John 12, verse 26. Young men and women of the graduating class, you have been here at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles for two years. You have worked hard. You have done well. You have made satisfactory progress in your study of the Word of God, in your Christian character, and in your work for Christ. You have won the confidence, respect, and love of every member of the faculty, and I think we can rest confident that we have won your love as well as your confidence. You were about to leave us. We are sorry to have you go, for we shall greatly miss you. When I come back next November and look out over the seats in the lecture room, my first impulse will be to look for the faces that I know so well and to listen for the voices that I have learned to distinguish from one another. I shall miss you, and every member of the faculty will miss you. But we are glad you are going. There was never in all this world's history such a crying demand for men and women who know God, who know Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and who know their Bibles, and how to use them in winning souls for Christ, as in the day in which you and I live. We shall follow you with our prayers. We expect you to do credit to the Institute that sends you both by your holy living and your effective service. But what is infinitely more important, to do credit to our God and Father and to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you. The End